0: Figuring this thing out together. We hope this podcast feels like you're sitting with us in our home talking about how to do this thing called life together. Elizabeth and I are your hosts. Let's get into this week's podcast. Welcome back to the Intentional Parents Podcast. Thank you so much for listening in today. We just want to take a minute and recognize that your time is valuable. So thank you for taking a minute to listen. Uh, If this is all... At all been helpful. If you would just do us a favor and go over and rate the podcast, even leave a comment, let us know how this is blessing you. It helps us tremendously, and we so appreciate the feedback. Uh, today we're going to do a follow up episode on what we had talked about uh, just recently on the teenage years. Um, not everyone that's listening today has teenagers, but someday if you have kids, they will be teenagers, Lord willing. And that's going to be something that uh, as you get into that stage, this is going to be a, it's a unique time, as we all know, and you always hear people talk about the dreaded teenage years and our hope is to actually bring some hope and some encouragement that these can be wonderful times and they don't have to be these dreaded times that that some might talk about. And so today we want to talk about the three secrets, uh, three secrets that you, Phil, and Diane wrote write about in, in the book, Raising Passionate Jesus Followers, three secrets to the teenage years. Now, I do want to say as well that we have a uh, film series that we're going to be releasing that has some of this content in it and we go at length in the book so if you're interested in more of what we talk about today you can definitely pick up our book on any any spot that uh books are sold amazon's a great resource for that um but today we just want to talk about those three secrets so let's jump into it today phil and diana give us maybe the first secret and i'm sorry before you do i just want to recap we just talked about three keys in the teenage years and those three things if you missed the last episode were to respect their insights humble yourself and invite their input. And then today we want to kind of give the three secrets to the teenage years that you might not necessarily be aware of or might not come as naturally. So give us some perspective. Take us there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we call these not just three secrets of discipline, but three things that work. <laughs> three <laughs> yeah. things that we discovered in raising our own kids that were uh, really helpful. And I think of the three of them, the third one probably was the most helpful. But anyway, why I want you share.
2: Well, you know, I think the hardest part about teenagers is we had a plan for discipline, at least a semblance of a plan that our mentors had helped us with. But we felt like the scriptures were clear on disciplining our toddlers, our preschoolers, right. our young school age children, and it, it felt very reasonable and in control. And our kids understood exactly how it worked. And we go into that, you know, of course, in the book. And some of that still applies in the teenage years, but mostly it doesn't. (laughs) Mostly now you're, you're dealing with young adults and the frustrating thing. And I think the reason so many parents dread the teenage years is just this, you don't know what to do when your teenager is not compliant. Yeah, And, um, and you don't like the way you're reacting and responding. Mm-hmm. So we came up with these three things that just worked just like magic for us. Because basically, by the time our kids got to be teenagers, we'd been following along with the principles that we teach in Intentional Parents, much of which had been passed on to us by our mentors, Bill and Lori Kyes, who had been longtime missionaries and raised four godly men and women and i mean we saw it working and we just kept saying tell us more tell us more tell us more we're starting from a blank slate both bill and laurie had come from christian homes and we're just such people filled with wisdom
1: Yeah, sometimes parents withdraw during the teenage years because they just Mm -hmm. don't know what to do. I mean, the kids, they're too big for you to pick them up and say, look me in the eye and listen to me now. (laughs) You know, and if you chose to use the rod of correction, they're way too old for that. And so uh, (laughs) Diane's right. These are some things that, that we were taught by our mentors and put into practice and was really helpful.
2: And just for me, I noticed that I felt like I knew what I was doing when the kids were really little, and I did most of the discipline because I was spent most time with the kids. When Phil was home, he absolutely took the lead in, in the disciplinary action, but he just was working Busy, so that yeah, I could yeah, be yeah. home, So was gone a lot. <laughs> um, which was an incredible, great thing for me. Um, but I noticed that as my, especially my boys, but my girls just really actually, I shouldn't even d- differentiate. My girls my sons and my daughters, both began to react differently to me as they got older. And I saw that I was reacting differently to them, (laughs) aka nagging almost constantly, which I thought was making suggestions and it was just annoying them. And they weren't responding when I got real corrective with them. And it just didn't seem to be working anymore. And I felt like it was becoming more and more strident. Yeah. risking my relationship with my kids, Mm. alienating them. And I am at heart, I want peace, and I I didn't know what to do. Mm. And quite accidentally, we stumbled upon this idea, number one, the first secret to discipline during the teenage years is we switched roles. Okay, I abdicated my role as primary disciplinarian, and Phil took up to a much greater degree, the responsibility to um, spearhead the discipline of our kids. And instantly, instantly, I mean within a week, I saw my relationships with the kids improving, and I saw how well they responded to Phil's discipline. Partly just his bigger voice. He's an authoritative person. He's also more fun than I am. <laughs> and so he could, you know, at the same time he was being this big commanding presence. He was so fun. Yeah. And um, partly because, you now, some people object to this. It just seems to me that at a certain age, kids respond really well to a man mm. who's, who's gentle but authoritative. Yeah. Um not not a domineering but just strong and and we just talked in an episode about anxiety and kids are anxious in their teenage years yeah. and f- something about Phil's commanding presence and the fact that he could make fun out of it yeah um made them listen to him really well and then it allowed me to be behind the scenes talking to Phil about s- patterns i was seeing I, I still stayed the intuitive of the two of us, noticing things about the kids, informing them, will you please watch for this? Yeah, I
0: was going to say, give us an example of what that was like. What, do you have any examples of, you know, even maybe that come to mind of when, yes, maybe specifically uh, Elizabeth, s- but if not, the other kids will do, of <laughs> yes. just maybe some of those <laughs> yeah, moments, sure. where, like an example. Yeah. Of when yes, and I some think-
2: really good examples. So for instance, one was, it, it became the difficulty of our children's judgment at that age. So maybe my daughter would come to me and say there's a party Friday night at so and so's house from church, usually so and so's house, and um, you know, this is what we're gonna be doing. Can I go? And I would instantly know, okay, that's actually a college age person's house. There's no parents gonna be there. Um, I'm not mm, sure that these are real yes. you know, they're they're growing in their faith, but hmm, I'm not sure so I can you trust it. I know enough. Yeah. Because my kids talk to me quite yeah, extensively. Yeah, yeah. I know enough to think, this is not a good idea. Yeah. But they're yeah. really not ready for this level of discernment that would be required if they got in over the head. So I would say to Phil, say no. Or you remember this person, you know, and remember this incident. I think maybe we need to figure out a way to say yeah. no. Phil would say, no, we can't. You can't go to that party Friday night. Here's the reasons, three reasons. You don't have to agree with him. No means no. And <laughs> then the kids would come crying to me, Dad, he doesn't understand. And, <laughs> and I could be this sympathetic, oh, I'm so sorry, honey. He's the worst. I'm just uh, kidding. No, <laughs> no, I'm so either. sorry. But you understand his thinking is that he knows what goes on at some of those parties. And and he is concerned that you're going to get into a situation above mm. your head. You're not going to know what to do. You're not quite ready for that. So can we have a party at our house instead? We'll, we'll buy all mm-hmm. the pizza. You can come, you know, basically destroy our house, which, you know, <laughs> during the teenage years, get a throwaway sofa, sofa get the cheapest carpeting you can, and consider it the best investment ever that you that your house became this house of fun yeah but that's not the discipline the discipline could be more that phil was the one saying no instead of me being a shrew because that's how i came across and he was just like unemotional about it like whereas i'm definitely (laughs) emotional about it (laughs) phil would be like what's the problem i said no And I give you the reason. Well, I would be nice.
1: But I mean, you know, it's funny because, uh, yeah, I mean, I know we're stereotyping here. But, you know, like when they would say to me, Dad, how could you do this to me? It's like, it's so embarrassing. And I would just like, sorry, but you'll live, you know, and it didn't ruin my day. I knew they would be okay because as we say, you parent out of relationship. And, and if you've been loving your kids and having fun with them and guiding them and doing stuff together for years and years and years and years and years, you will weather the teenage years. But Diane's funny because she said "Yeah, she would come tell me <laughs> what to say. And I like to jokingly say in Ephesians chapter 5, I talk about the husband-wife relationship. The yeah, husband yeah. is the head of the wife. Uh, and, and by the way, that's not a, that doesn't mean he's lording it over her. He's supposed to lay down his life for her. and yeah die. But I so said, the husband is the head of the wife, but the wife is the neck that turns the head. <laughs> so, right, so she was telling me what to say. He was smart.
2: And guiding him in some diplomacy because now you are no, dealing, no longer dealing with the child. You're dealing with a young adult. And you need to become a compelling leader yes. in the home at yes. this yes. stage of your child's not life. Not an authoritarian. Yes, yes, not a tyrant.
1: Authoritative but not authoritarian. Exactly.
2: And I became was then put into this role of being this chief encourager and listener and knower of their heart. And it seemed to us that at least for our kids, those two things, firm discipline and my generous encouragement while listening by the hour took all the pressure off the kids and off of me. So when the girls came crying to me and said, wouldn't, that dad had just said they couldn't wear that outfit to school (laughs) because you told me to tell them they couldn't
1: wear it (laughs) I
2: had told them don't you dare let her go out the door with that (laughs) outfit to school they would come crying to me he's so old fashioned he doesn't understand he thinks he's cool because he was in a rock band in the 60s and I could explain to them, he's not letting you wear that because he knows what the guys in school are thinking when you walk down that hallway, honey.
0: <laughs> and that's yes. the
2: last thing you want, isn't it?
0: Yes, that's good.
2: So can we just figure out how to wear something else in that style that just that just doesn't show so much skin? <laughs> and you good. know, my girls, they weren't rebels. No, no. They wanted to be good people, so they needed me On their side, not oppositional with them, or or when he said no, they couldn't go someplace. I could help explain why it was out of love that he was saying, not because he was a tyrant.
0: So what I hear, so the first thing, switch roles, Mm -hmm. switch roles, and that's a great example. And Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, today we're we're not going to go too far into each Mm -hmm. one of these, but but I know there's two other ones which I'm excited to get to. So what is the second secret?
1: You know, one thing before we give you the second secret. I think it'd be good to say. There's probably some single moms listening, and you thinking, yeah. "Great, I don't have a husband that I can mm-hmm. switch roles with." And we just want to say to you, that's really difficult. But yes. the Lord will lift you up, and you, and He will give you extra grace, which He does. His grace is inexhaustible. Mm. And pray for God to bring some other men into. Uh, your your sphere so that they can be brothers and uncles and fathers and mothers. But yes, oh it's tough. Yeah. This is tough. You know, God's plan was that kids would be raised with a mother and a father. Yeah, yeah. But it's a broken world and it doesn't always work. Okay.
0: Second Absolutely. secret. Thank you for saying that, Phil. Yes.
2: The second secret to discipline we talk about all throughout our. Conference and our book is we come back to this thing that we call the box, which yeah. is just a visual, which is extremely effective in the teenage years when you just don't know what to do, and you're in danger of overdoing. And we did
0: a whole episode on this, so we'll yeah, put that so in the show notes. the second but.
1: secret we say: remember the box. Yes, you know, exactly. switch roles remember number two: the bo- remember the box. Remember
3: the yeah, box. So what does the box look like when, you know, you we've talked a lot about how when the kids are really little, the box is really small mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and as they get older, it expands and sometimes you have to bring it back in a little bit. But obviously the box is pretty big by the mm-hmm. time they're teenagers,
2: it but is. it's still
3: there. So tell us, what does that look like?
2: Well, you know, the teenage years are an awkward time for our children, and especially in our culture, lots and lots of kids that they know will have absolutely no boundaries anymore. Even kids in the church, yeah, yeah. their parents just pretty much abandon them to rule themselves because we're just terrified of being labeled the helicopter parent, yeah. right? And um, being told that we need to back off. And that's been going on for Decades that parents have been told to back off in the teenage years, which, by the way, we don't really agree with that. Yeah. At the same time, most teenagers, at least at times, all four of ours did, showed. A lack of judgment,
0: even Elizabeth. I'm not <laughs> Elizabeth. with the exception of me, uh, yes,
2: of right. <laughs> <laughs> and that has some just some grounding in science. Our brains are still developing in the teenage years, in the, especially in that frontal lobe area, which controls decision making, planning ahead, and impulse control, yeah. incl- including control out of what comes out of their mouths. <laughs> you, oh, that's interesting. The truth is, they are not as capable as you think they are sometimes they are not and they're not as capable as they think they are they're not fully capable of sorting through all the emotions and the hormones and the oh information yes. to make the good judgments that they want to
1: especially make especially the boys what what mm-hmm. is the age now that they're saying the male brain is fully developed
2: it's not fully developed most males until age 28 <laughs> oh my and gosh and wow. females 18
0: so why god no no, but listen think about this elizabeth you and i got married when we were 21 that means a full seven years before my brain was fully developed and and And, we'd
3: already had two children and
0: you were three years already just fully developed (laughs) you know that makes sense that's exactly what it felt like that's one of my questions (laughs) for god why lord i have you know i have other questions for him too no i'm just kidding but that's a, so so switching roles remembering the box and then what is the the last secret of the teenage years
2: the last secret of the teenage years is the one that we probably didn't understand well enough especially with our first three teenagers but by the time Matthew came this is a principle we had learned early in our walk with God and in our ministry that we began to apply to him and we saw how differently he then responded to us than maybe the others had. Yeah. And it, that is something that is called the process of appeal. Okay. And it's rooted and grounded in scripture. Phil, can you t- isn't there a scripture even in First Timothy that talks about that?
1: Yeah, this? I mean the, the, the idea of appealing to someone who's in authority over you yep. instead of getting in their face yeah. and telling them what you think. You know, especially, <laughs> you know, children are commanded to honor their father and their mother. Yep. And then of course fathers are commanded not to exasperate their children to anger. So it's a two way street. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to serve our kids and, and bring them up. In the ways of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, just a couple quick things that come to mind. Uh, if you remember the Old Testament story of, of uh, David and Abigail, so uh, David's men are wronged by Nabal, and uh, and he's coming to basically bring in his army with him to yeah, kill, him. kill Nabal oh, while he's yeah. having this big party. And Abigail, who's this godly woman, sees what's going on and she grabs all kinds of food and she takes off and she meets David on his way. and very humbly appeals to him uh not to do this and and she does it by saying you don't you know the bible says vengeance is mine i will repay say, says the lord and she said you're the great king david but you don't want to take vengeance into your own hands and you don't yeah. want blood to be on your own hands and so she appeals to him and he and he ends up thanking her mm. and uh and and he doesn't go and she brings all this food to him and and she, she ends up saving her husband's life, and of course he, he was drunk, but anyway later when he figures out what's going on, he has like a heart attack and he, he dies but anyway, it was that appeal that, that changed everything yeah and then you know we know the story of Esther you know who was raised up for such a time as this and she, she you could not go into the presence of the king without his permission or you, you could be killed and so she went in and risked it and um, appealed. Uh, for her nation, and she saved the whole Jewish nation through that appeal. But in the New Testament, there's just a, a verse. It's a first, first Timothy chapter five verse one, where Paul is talking about this uh, power of appeal, and he says, "This never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him." There's a word, respectably, as though he were your own father, and so. Paul is saying, you know, if it's a, if it's an older man, you appeal to him as if he was a father, and so yeah. uh, this this process of appeal is Old Testament and New Testament.
2: Essentially, then, in its usefulness with teenagers, an appeal is after you have said no to something, okay, right? And you even you you let them say their piece. You had some dialogue about it, mm-hmm. and your judgment was no, and that's the same within our. Um, Legal system. It's an appeal is a way in our legal system of respectfully negotiating a change in authority's decision, and in our legal system and in our homes, it includes bringing more information. Right. Oh, so, in other words, no in the teenage years doesn't mean no for sure, no ever no. It can also mean if there's new light shed on it or new information brought, we reopen the decision. And because we're reasonable people and we're not annoyed and so busy that we don't want to talk about this again, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I'm assuming we've got some decent attitude going on, we say our teenager is allowed to come and always knows that they're allowed to come with new information and appeal your decision after they have first acknowledge your authority with your first decision. And he mm-hmm. said, okay, mom, I'm going to do what you say. I'm, I'm going to do what you say. Um, okay, this is hard. Give me some time to process, whatever. You know, hopefully they're nice like that. Usually it's not quite that easy. But then they come back to you later with new information. I just found out his parents are going to be home the entire time and i have the parents telephone number could we talk about this again
0: yeah yeah, would you
2: consider calling the parents and ask what we're going to be doing at the party and would you consider also telling me what time i would have to be home if i want to go on the party that is so respectful that is appealing to somebody Mm -hmm. and then you at that point as a parent have to really think long and hard this if they have If they've used the process of appeal, is your no, just no, and you're so annoyed that they would ask you again that you just keep it no, or does that, or have they actually satisfied your concerns, and now you believe, you know what, let's do this. I think you could do this, but I want you home at 11.
0: Yeah, that example is uh, such a great example, and I know we do that with even our younger kids. Yeah, it works
3: Mm -hmm. great with Mm -hmm. younger kids. We've
0: been trying, you know, uh, you guys taught us that, and we've been using Mm -hmm. that, And, and honestly, an appeal. Our kids now at this stage, like I'm bringing more information. You know? Yes, <laughs> and, and it's true. And and sometimes that information, they they miss the point of like, more information isn't just actually saying the same thing in a different way. Like I really yeah. want to do yeah. this. <laughs> That's my <why> more information. <laughs> my more information is I really still need this right.
3: And they're still working on the more information part. But okay, I have like a real life example of a younger kid Good. that literally this has been happening while we've been recording. <laughs> So our kids are with a babysitter right now, and they're meeting us where we're recording, and she's about to bring them. And um, Duke just tried to call, but I didn't answer, so he texted me, and he said, "So on on the babysitter's phone, we have have, we have a puppy, who shockingly it's been a very great experience. He's a wonderful (laughs) dog, and the kids were asking to bring him Mm -hmm. to dinner tonight at Mm -hmm. our friend's house." Because we've done that a few times. And I said, not tonight. That just sounds like too much. There's a bunch of other dogs there. That just sounds like too much. So I had already said no. So Duke tried to call and then he texts me. He says, hi, mom. I'm wondering if I could please bring Django because I just don't want to leave him at home for like three hours. But this is what he said. I'll take full responsibility for him and bring his pen, leash, and food. Ooh. Wow, that's new information. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a that's good it. appeal. So he's saying, I know you said no. I know you don't want to have to deal with it, but if can I please bring him because I really want to, and I'll deal take with care. So I, I hope said, you said yes. I said yes. I said because I, I want Django to yeah. meet Trooper. <laughs> yeah. and troopers
1: out here. <laughs>
3: yeah, I said. I love your care and responsibility for him, buddy. Yes, you can bring him. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's so funny. That's happening literally as we're recording. You know, yeah. it's interesting as well, as you said, Django and Trooper, and maybe it is fair to let everybody listening know that there's this thing that's going on in our family <laughs> that everybody that's gotten a dog has named their dog after a Star Wars Anim, or Star Wars figure or so name. So, what are the so, names?
2: What are the names? Okay, what do we we have? We have Obi Obi Wan Kenobi. Oh
3: yeah,
0: that's Stephen Beck's dog. And then we have Jin Tro- for
1: Jin Urso.
2: Jin so
0: Yeah.
1: Yep. And then you guys have Trooper, Trooper for Stormtrooper, Stormtrooper, and your kids named him that.
0: Yeah. And then yeah. we have
1: our dog is a Sheepadoodle. doodle.
0: And uh, his name is
1: Jango Fett.
3: <laughs> we call him Django. <laughs> and I was so, not
1: going to join the party. I said, no, you. I don't have to give my dog or our dog. It's Diane's dog. Yes, Diane's she reminds uh, me regularly now that Jackson was mine <laughs> and this is hers. But but, but she, your kids, oh, he's white like a stormtrooper. I know. Yeah. Okay, too, we'll call him trooper. He's
2: black and white, so he looks like it. So this is an example of how an appeal can turn animosity into a friendly negotiation. And it assumes goodwill on both the parent yeah and And the teenager it assumes that the teenager has said, "I'm willing to submit to you, even though I don't agree to you with you because I know you love me, Mom, and I think you're wrong, and i'm I'm, I'm disappointed, but hmm. now I'm going to bring new information because because you can tell Duke has thought through, really, he listened to what you said. It's too much trouble for you tonight. And he's now saying, "I'm willing to go to the work and the trouble to take responsibility for him." Um, would that make a difference? And he said it in an appealing way. Yeah. An appeal yeah. should be done appealingly, and every parent should respond in an appealing way. And if at all possible, if at all possible, what is that? Um, you have a saying framed over your desk, Phil. What is it?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, you you, you really <laughs> yeah. wanted me to buy that thing. It was I horrendously did. expensive because <laughs> I process things negatively. Okay, that's a great idea. Let's see. Do we have enough money for it? I don't think so. And What's what'll wrong happen? with this So idea. it says start with yes. Yes. It-
2: and as a, a parent of a teenager without being permissive and without risking your – without – Even define your own good judgment, okay? Because it's our job to protect our kids from getting into a spot that's in over their heads. And I've talked to way too many young people after years of pastoring our church who have come to me and said, I wish my parents had been willing to say no and protected me because I am now forever damaged. I got in over my head Mm -hmm. and I will be spending the rest of my life working dealing with the scars yes so without compromising your good judgment to be able to whenever possible to say yes to some degree or another is just so helpful yes mm-hmm. and too often parents of teenagers get into this consequences for everything drastic mm-hmm. consequences cuz they're in this cycle of defiance kind of and animosity mm. with their kids. And I think their consequences have a place. But I would way rather see us work on switching rules on the box, you know, go back into our information about the box and read up on that. Listen up on the podcast. We'll put it in the notes. Um and and really start practicing this this appeal process. To bring a, a sense of peace and unity into your home.
1: Yeah, to wrap this up, like we didn't really break down how you use the box in the te- teenage years. It's it's in the uh, in the book, but you know that's where sometimes. Uh, removing privileges for a time and everything. There's a way to tighten the box and enlarge it and teach them, you know, as they grow in responsibility. The only th- other thing about the appeal is, is obviously there's a possibility that after the appeal you still are saying no. And I, li- I like what Diane says, but at least you've, you know, you may not agree in the very end, but at least you've avoided World War Three.
2: Yes, yes. <laughs>
0: That's a great way to say it. Well, I, you guys, thank you so much for even taking a moment to deposit this into everybody listening. So switching roles, uh remembering the box uh teaching them the process of appeal and as we do this together not only with our you know you guys were we're using the context of the teenage years but we're also talking about the reality of this is something that's good to know uh, really it, it can be applied to lots of different yes, stages definitely. So, so we'll make sure to, to link those in the rest of the show notes thank you for listening Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If this podcast has blessed to you in any way, here's a few ways that you can partner with us in this ministry. First is to give. Intentional Parents is a nonprofit, and we rely on the generous giving of our partners. So please head over to our website, intentionalparents.org give, if you would like to become one of our partners through giving. Second is to share it. If this has at all been helpful to you, we encourage you to share it with your friends, your family, and those that you know would be blessed by it. Third is to follow us on social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find us on Instagram at intentional underscore parents. And lastly, if you would head over to iTunes, if you enjoyed today's episode and leave a review on iTunes, this helps us bring more hope, help, and healing for families.